It's the resurrection story that has brought us here into this moment together. As a church, whether you're here watching this in person or you're watching this online, people all around the world have gathered today to be able to celebrate this resurrection story. The fact that the grave couldn't have a hold on our Savior Jesus. And I want to lean into that theme today of story. That's going to be where we camp out, what we lean into really hard today. Because most of our tendencies for Easter is to make Easter either a season where we decorate our house with pastel color stuff and go buy nice dresses and clothes for our children, or we just make Easter a service, something that we got to go to and then we're going to go eat deviled eggs at grandmama's house, and that's just what Easter is. It's, it's a season, or it's a service, or there's a better option. It's a story. And today we're going to lean into that story. If you got a Bible, I invite you to go to Luke. Luke is going to where we pick up this resurrection story. Luke 24 is going to be where we'll first start. Luke 24, verses 1 through 2. I'm going to be reading it to you out of the ESV this morning. For all those that you're going there, if it's your first time here, man, we'd love to be able to connect with you, get to know you. Uh, you can take a picture of that little QR code on the back of one of those chairs there. If you can't reach one of those or your camera don't work good enough to get there, I'll meet you in the back. And if you're online, you can fill out one of those links. And if you're wondering, didn't he used to have a different shirt on? I did. Um, this is my baptism shirt. I just had a feeling somebody was going to get baptized. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I do. No, I'm not just kidding about that. Um, the other shirt, it was jacking up the camera, and it made it look like I was, if you were watching online, you are probably like, am I on drugs? No, it was just my, sh- it was just my shirt. Uh, so we're good. We're good now. All right, let's, le- let's read the Bible. Here we go. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, now they there is, is three women who are some of Jesus' closest followers, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who told them these things to the apostle. Now I want you to focus in on verse 11, because this is going to be one of the places where we lean into. It says, but these words, these stories, this word about the resurrection of Jesus, these words that they told as a story to these men in the room, it seemed to them as an idle tale. I read a lot of the Gospels a bunch of different times. And this year, as I was preparing my heart to be able to lay it before you and be able to preach the gospel, those two words right there, idle tale, stuck out to me more than anything else. Idle tale. And they did not believe them. The reason that those guys didn't believe them is because in regards to a resurrection, nobody, nobody who was there, nobody who was in that crowd, nobody who was in that room with those disciples, and the reason that those women took those spices there was to embalm Jesus. They had heard a rumor that some other men had done it. And you know how women are. They always... Come clean up after us and make sure that we did the job right. And so these women are coming. They want to pour out their devotion to Jesus, make sure he really he's been prepared. They couldn't do it on Saturday because that was a Sabbath day. So they show up early Sunday morning and they realize he's not here. And they 
have this moment of, of awe and this moment of confusion because nobody on that day expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody in the tomb. There wasn't a group of people. Jesus didn't tell them what he told them. And to have a group of guys, the disciples, all right there, 12 a.m., Sunday morning. They weren't in this group of guys just sitting there together doing a countdown. Three, two, one, boom, and the stone rolls back. No. Because when they heard him from the cross yell out, it is finished, all their hopes were finished. All their dreams were finished. All their thoughts that this was the Messiah who was finally going to give us what we were hoping for, they're gone. See, guys, this is the story that we hear. And we know the story is bigger than just this scene. But this is the story that is supposed to be the story of Jesus. And we will learn about Jesus and we hear about Jesus as this figure who lived his life with this sense of confidence, this sense of, of drivenness and purposefulness. And he had this love for others, this love for others that led him to go to unimaginable lengths, not just to like other stories, save a princess or a child or a country, but his love for all mankind led him to go to unimaginable lengths to save all mankind. And that life-saving mission, guys, here's the difference about his story and just other good stories. That story, the resurrection story, is happening right now in this room. That's the power that 2,000 years later, after this happened, is still enough powerful of a story that 2,000 years later, people are still gathering together to hear, to preach, to sing, and to exclaim about this resurrection story. And if the story of Jesus raising from the grave would have been the end of the story... Life as we know it wouldn't be here right now. So that means that the story is still going on. And if we're not careful, we'll treat the resurrection story like we treat all other good stories. We, we read it or we watch it and we go, man, that was inspiring. I'm, I was hooked five minutes in. And maybe we got a little entertained, maybe we were a little engaged, and maybe we leave that story going, man, I was inspired to maybe think about other things differently or to do this differently. And we hear stories and they make us kind of feel that way, or at best they just give us some good entertainment. But the difference between those stories and the story of Jesus is you're not invited into those stories. You don't take a part in those stories. You, you didn't show up with Simba and, and defeat Scar there on Pride Rock. You didn't help El Elsa let it go, which I'm, I'm guessing that's the point of that movie because I have two boys and you better believe we haven't seen that movie. Not, not, I didn't choose it. They chose it. You didn't, you're not a ring-destroying hobbit. You weren't in Rocky Balboa's corner. You, you didn't become an Avenger, not even Ant-Man. See, that's the difference between good stories and the great story of the resurrection. It's all of those stories. You don't get a place. You don't get a role. You don't get invited into them. But the resurrection story, you have a place. And the greatest story that's ever told. And if you feel blood pumping through your body, if you have breath in your lungs, if your eyes and your ears are hearing this right now, that means you have an invitation on the table to be a part of the resurrection story. Now, we can hear all that and go, yeah, man, that's an awesome story, man. Like we sing those songs about never lost a battle. And I feel like I've lost some battles. And graves in the gardens. And it's like, my life is more graves right now. And we can hear all these things and hear how Jesus brings hope and he brings peace, and he wakes up dead things, and he brings these back to life, and we hear the things about his story and how epic it is. But then we kind of look at our lives, and it's like, there's a disconnect. And if I'm really invited into that story, then how come my story feels broken? How, how come my story feels pointless? 
How come my story feels like this endless loop of like go to work, get a paycheck, come home, go to school, get some classes, do this to get this, to get that, to get that, to get that, and then you die. How come that's what my life feels like when I'm supposedly invited into this big, grand, massive story? Maybe the question I would ask is, are you living a story worth sharing? It's a big, deep question. Now you're like, man, you came in here hot, giving us these deep Easter questions. Are you living a story worth sharing? Like this gospel story, that's like 2,000 years later, people still gather around the world sharing this story. And again, I don't, your story is never going to compare to that. You're invited into that. But if this story is worth sharing and you're invited into it, then that means yours should be worth sharing as well. Like when, you have, when you're old in your age and your grandkids come up and they say, tell us, tell us your story, Grandma. Story, tell us your story, Grandpa. Like, are you going to be able to tell that story without leaving things out? Are you going to be able to tell that story and be proud? Are you living a story worth sharing? See, if we're called to live this life, invited into this rescue mission of Jesus, to bring hope, joy, peace, healing, and unity back in this world, why don't our lives match up? Now, I, honestly, like in the room, let's do a little bit of a checkup. How many of you in this moment would say, man, and you don't have to raise your hand. I can tell some of you. How many of you feel like, man, I'm just experiencing deep meaning right now? I'm just... The meaning of my life, I'm just, I'm on that railroad track. We're crushing it. Deep meaning. Purpose. Here's another one. It's been hard to do this in a year where we've had to stay disconnected. How many of you feel deep connection? Like there are actually people who know you. Like there are actually people who need you and not just they need you to like pay their bills, not just need you to wipe their butt, not just need you to, to do whatever, to take care of them because they're in old age, but like how many people really know What's going on with you? Because, man, we can get to places where we say, hey, we're invited into this story, and then we can read verses like, you know, you hear a pastor talk about, you know, Ephesians 2.10, and it comes out hot saying, man, we are God's masterpiece. And you stay up late at night, and you watch, you know, one of them TV preachers with whiter teeth than me and, and slick back hair more than me, and they tell you it good, too, and they make you feel good about it. You are God's, and they enunciate, masterpiece. And you're like, yeah. And like, you know, 4 a.m., you're like, yeah. But then at 4 p.m., and work's about over, the verse comes back to mind. And it comes back to mind a whole lot more sarcastic. I'm God's masterpiece. Yeah. 40 and still single. I'm God's masterpiece. Unable to conceive because there's things wrong with my body. I'm, a, I'm God's masterpiece and I'm living out these good works that Jesus prepared in advance for me, but I'm in middle management and I've been in middle management for the last 14 years. I'm God's masterpiece, but I'm, I'm on prescriptions for, for my depression and my anxiety. I'm God's masterpiece, but I'm lost, L-O-S-T, with what to do with these children. Yeah, I'm God's masterpiece and I'm living out these great plans. See, we can hear stuff like that and when life happens... We can feel very sarcastic about it. We can feel very much so like, yeah, if that's a masterpiece, my life is not looking like that. And I think the reason there's this disconnect from the masterpiece, the epic, the grand story of, of the resurrection, and then our little life stories is found in those two words that I hopefully had you underline in verse 11. Idle tales. See, the reason why our lives feel idle and again, that's I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L. 
is because we've let the story of the resurrection be idle to us. So you know what an idle car does. An idle car is not going backwards, forward, left, or right. Idle car isn't going anywhere. It has no effect on you. You hear it, you listen, it's like, okay, cool, great. You know, that's good to hear. And when the women showed up and explained what was going on and explained what they had saw, that's how everybody treated them. Like, you're crazy. And they dismissed it. Most of the men in the room, were, they, were, they were terrified because they had just saw what happened to Jesus. And so they're like, hey, we got bigger fish to fry than your like, emotional rants about what you think you saw in the tomb. And they dis- dismiss it. And I think a lot of the reason why our lives can feel like idle tales, like we're stuck in a rut, like we're not going anywhere, is because we've allowed the resurrection to be an idle tale for us. So what I want through the rest of the time we have is how do we allow the resurrection story to change our story forever? So if you're taking notes, you can uh, go with us there. The first way that we see the resurrection story change our story is the resurrection story gives us a chance to go from villain to hero. I'm just going to go right out of the gate and bust a bubble here. For a lot of us in the room, the reason our story isn't what we want it to be is because we are sabotaging it. Our choices, our habits... The things we think, the things we say, the people we hang out with, the cho- again, it all goes back to choices. Listen, every single choice you make is you putting ink to the paper of the story of your life, big, small, and seemingly indifferent, or all you putting ink to the paper to write the story of your life. And the reality is, friend, there may have been bad things that other people did to you. And there may have been mistakes that they made that caused things to happen in your life. But nobody is more responsible for how your story is going than you. And many times, we undermine the story that God wants to write. We sabotage the story that God wants to write. And we live our lives like we are our own worst enemy. But it doesn't really just stop there. And I'm going to tell you all the bad news so I can tell you how good the good news is, okay? You're not just your own worst enemy. Before you were in Christ, you were also His. You were also His Father's. Romans 5.10 says this. For while we, we, me and you, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the, lot, by the death of His Son. Much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Okay, so there, there's, there's kind of three different characters going on here. There's us as enemies, God as a Father, and then His Son. Now I want you to see how there's a role reversal happening here. The only way that we go from being enemies to being reconciled to God. And reconciled is a place of a friend, reconciled is a place of a family member, reconciled is a place of a son or daughter. The only way we get into that status with God is somebody else had to be treated like an enemy. See, because when you do something wrong with God, you're on the hook. And, and, and at the end of the day, God can't be a good, loving, and just God if He just lets sin slide. So what this means is that in our grand story, there is a bad guy. And that bad guy... It's me. And that bad guy is you. And we are enemies with God. But what this verse tells us is that Jesus, the ultimo good guy in the story, doesn't become the bad guy, but takes the bad guy's punishment so that we can be called sons and daughters. Good guys. We can be heroes. Now, I know you may be hearing that and you're going to like, whoa, wait a minute, bro. Man, I grew up in church. And I I haven't been back in a while, but I always thought Satan was the bad guy. And Satan was the one who made those things happen. And Satan was the reason the X, Y, Z happened in the world. And I thought it was all Satan. And listen, he does a lot of bad things. And he's behind a lot of the brokenness that we see in life. 
But I want you to understand something. So many of our stories are not the way we want them to be because we've been given Satan too much of the pen and pencil and keyboard to write the story of our life than he ever should have had. I want to show you this verse. Check it out. It's in Romans. It's chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, which is, which is God's way of writing this in here and saying, listen, you got some stuff to do. Like, there's an obligation. You have a role, an active place of participation in this story. You have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh. Now, anytime the Bible talks about flesh, it talks about that weird, wicked, sinful desire in us that wants to sleep with who we want to sleep with, drink what we want to drink, eat what we want to eat, do what we want to do, think what we want to think. That's the flesh. That thing in you that says, my way, my truth, my life. Jesus flips that all on his head and says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You keep doing it your way. And he says, what will happen? Verse 13. If you live, you, underline you, according to the flesh, you will die. And again, he's not just talking about like, okay, well, we all die. Yeah, like we all know that's going to happen. We're going to get old, crusty, and we're going to all die. No, he's not talking about your body. He's talking about your soul because, friend, you are not just a body that happens to have a soul. You're a soul that for now happens to have a body. And that soul is going to go eternally somewhere. And so he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit. Keyword, I wish I had plenty of time to unpack what it means by the Spirit, but that means it's not going to be your doing it, but it's by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you live. And that live is living a life that is written into the story of God for the purposes of God, for His glory. That's the true life, the life that will satisfy unlike any attempts that we could make at living the good life. Now, you read a verse like that, and if we think Satan is the enemy, I want you to go back in there and see who's more on the hook. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put the Spirit, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Is it Satan or is it you? Who's on the hook? It's you. It's me. So don't give Satan the power that he doesn't deserve. See, one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make and preachers make is we make Satan seem more dangerous to you than you are to you. And he's not. Don't give him that credit. See, we do war against Satan. And, 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 but here's the deal. He, he is not nearly as dangerous as your flesh. Those desires in you. Man, some of us, we are Olympic level. Olympic level at talking ourselves into some sin. Right? We, you know it. Just look, can we just be honest and real? It's church. It's Easter. You, I mean, it's, let's be real. Olympic level. Talk in. And it's really easy, too, because you know why? It's so easy to talk yourself into that sin. Because you don't have anybody else talking into your life. There's nobody else hearing that dialogue. It's just you and you. And you ain't going to argue with you because you're you. <laughs> so he comes on the scene. And I want you to get this in regards to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross because of Satan. Jesus went to the cross because of sin. My sin. That I committed in my past, that I might do today, and I'm probably going to do in the future. That's why he went to the cross. And see, what you believe about the cross and what you believe about the empty grave determines where you go. And I want you to understand this. No one goes to hell because of Satan. We go to hell because of sin. That's why I'm saying he is not nearly as dangerous as you are. And so what, what I'm calling us to do is to rally behind a shared enemy. To say, Jesus, I'm on your side now. Your life has been placed inside of mine, and by the Spirit, I can now live as a part of your story. Now we, together, have this shared enemy in Satan, so let's go together 
and do everything we can to stand into the gap for the people whose lives that you are destroying the same way that mine would have been destroyed had you not, by the Spirit, put the deed, put to death my flesh. See, that's what happens. The second way that the resurrection story changes our story is once we understand that we get to be heroes in the story is what it does is it gives our plot purpose. The plot line of your story, it actually gives it a purpose. Now, let me speak into some young people in the room. Young people in the room, 12 to, I don't know, 3012. I don't know. Who knows? We, we don't know what a young person is anymore in our society. That's okay. Here's what happens with young people in our society. We say, friend, you don't need a purpose until you get a job. You don't need a purpose until you're senior year of high school and you got to start figuring that stuff out. You don't need a purpose until you got kids and your purpose is to be a mom or a dad or, or, or a husband or a wife. You don't need a purpose until then. And so what happens in our kids' lives and because we just kind of let it because we just let them float is because we don't tell them that you have a purpose right now, whether you're four or whether you're 44, you have a purpose. Because we don't tell them that there is an actual purpose for your life on the table because you are in the resurrection story. Because they don't know there's a purpose. They run after pleasure. And what happens in those incredibly formative years of 12 to 22 is, is you get in this habit, this cycle. Well, I, there's a purpose, but yeah, maybe I'll do some things purposefully for a little while, but it's just to get pleasure. And I'll do these things for pleasure. Well, I want to get this amount of likes. I don't want to get this person to notice me. I want to get this person to, 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 to say yes to go to prom with me. Well, I want to get into this school so my mom will be happy at me. I don't want to do all these things because I really, what I'm more consumed with is pleasure than the purpose. And that's why we look around and it's not just a kid problem. It's an adult problem. Pornography is rampant and destroying homes, lives, and souls. Because more than seeking a purpose, we've sought pleasure. A quote I read this week I wanted to share with you. It says, we are most tempted to distract ourselves with pleasure when we are devoid of purpose. You know when you're going to fail? You know when you're going to mess up? You know when you're going to do something to, to satisfy some urge or desire in there and a shortcut the way God told you you should go get it? It's when you don't live out your purpose. See, Jesus gives us a purpose. He tells us, hey, I'm writing you into this story, and here's your purpose. Whether you're a 14-year-old, whether you're a 44-year-old, whether you're 55, whether you're 85, regardless, if you're in a nursing home or you're in kindergarten, you've got a purpose, and here's what it looks like. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Pause, hold up, wait a minute. In life, we're all looking for like, okay, who should I actually listen to? Everybody's a guru about something. Man, you can go on YouTube. I'm, I'm a baseball coach right now and, and a pastor, which is, I, I like one of them more than the other. I'm not going to let you tell which one it is. Um, <laughs> but here's, here, here's what I'm learning. I, I was a decent baseball player, but I'm learning how to be a good coach. And I go online and, and learn these different things about how to coach little kids in baseball. And everybody is telling you all these different things. It's like, man, who's, who's, the, who's got the truth? Like, who really knows how to do this? And all of us, in whatever area of life we're after, we're all trying to figure out, okay, who can be a good guide to get my story from where it is now to where it is then? I'm going to give you a secret in life as far as who you should listen to. The guides you should let guide your life are people who have two things for you. People who have empathy for you. That they go, man, I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to struggle with that. I've actually been there. I've walked through those things. I've, I've broken free out of that addiction. I've went through a divorce. I, I've had this. Because, listen, man, so many times we take advice from people who've never been in our shoes. They might have a story that's even similar to ours. So one, 
The guides that we let into our life are people that have empathy for us. And man, if there was ever anybody who showed empathy towards you, it was Jesus on a cross going, these are your sins on me. That's empathy. Next, you listen to people who have empathy and people who have authority. The Bible says that because Jesus humbled himself, he was at the right hand of God, came down, became a sinful Savior and sacrifice for you. He became... He became sin who knew no sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. In Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2, it says, Because he humbled himself to the lowest of low, God has now exalted him to the highest of high, which means he's at the right hand of God, and a.k.a. that's a place of authority. So he's got empathy for you, and he's got authority over you. So listen to his purpose for you. And this is what's right there in Matthew. All authority has been given to me. Verse 19, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. I say this over and over again every time I come to this verse. If you're like, man, I'm not feeling Jesus. I'm not feeling Jesus. When did he say he would be with them? When they lived out their purpose. When they made disciples. Step one to feeling Jesus near to you. Make disciples. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we've been given this purpose. And again, I've already read this verse once, but I'm going to put it in a good light now. For we are God's masterpiece. Created, he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Maybe you never heard that, man. Some of you in here, it's really hard for you to believe I'm God's masterpiece. But you are, friend. And he has created you to do good works that he planned from long, long time ago. That's part of the story. And what I love about Jesus... Allowing his resurrection story to give us a purpose for our plot of our life, it also gives us a purpose for the pain of our life. Because, you know this, all good plots have some pain in them. I was telling somebody else, they were talking about how much they loved um, the Good Friday service that we had this past Friday. And I was like, yeah, I feel like you have to have a Good Friday service before you can have an Easter service because it's really that one-two punch. Nobody likes a movie where, you know, anybody ever seen Homeward Bound? Homeward Bound, first movie ever made me cry. Homeward Bound. But if you just take that last five minutes where Sassy, Champ, and Shadow come home, and that's all you see, you don't see everything that they went through to try to get home, you just go, that's some dogs and a cat coming into their yard. No big deal. <laughs> but what you've got to understand is God's written a really big story about you coming home about you finding a way back into his family. And he sent his son to do that. And all the pain that that cat, those cats and those dogs went through, and all the pain that you will go through, it makes your story beautiful. That's why it says in Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All that verse to sum up to say there was a purpose in all of his pain, and it was to bring you peace. Not just, oh, I feel peaceful today, but, oh, I'm actually at peace with a God who my sin had made enmity between me and him. And third way we see the resurrection story change our story is it offers us a happy ending. We all love happy endings. We, we all love a good resolve. And the great thing about this book is it actually does end happy for those who have faith in Jesus. But for those who don't, it's not. And I want to show you the ending that it offers. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. All right? Love Him. He worked for the good. Those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Who love Him. 
He says love him before called according to his purpose because the way that you'll know you're living according to his purpose or the way you'll know you'll love him is you're living according to his purpose. Now, in our lives, we get so off in living out and get distracted by not knowing what the end of the story is going to look like. And I think one of Satan's best strategies for our lives is to get us consumed not with our story, because if we really think about our story, if we're in Christ, we really think about our story, we know it ends in victory. We show up on Easter Sunday for a reason. But his strategy is to get us consumed with scenes, because there's a lot of scenes that don't look like victory. They were there in your life, and they're on the cross as well. As we look there, we see a scene as Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he screams out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not a pretty scene. You're going, man, there's some something going on between the father and the son, and that's not pretty. One seems mad at the other. If you had seen them take him down off the cross after jabbing a, like, look, what looked like a javelin spear into his side, blood and water pouring out as they just went ahead and made sure he was officially dead, you would have gone, no. This is over. If you had been like, like Nicodemus, and you had been one of the men who, who made sure that he had a, a grave to be in, and you had picked him up in your own arms, this dead, lifeless Messiah figure who had said he was the hope of the world. If you're kind of doing this consolation prize to say, okay, obviously he wasn't, but, but I'm here, and, and I, there was something about him. I, there was something he did in my heart, and so out of honor for what he did teach that was good, I'm going to take care of him. If you had held him in your arms there as you took him into a borrowed tomb, you have said, this story's hopeless. But thank God that our story doesn't revolve around scenes, but it revolves around a resurrection. See, you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. And in your life, whatever it is that you're trying to go through, you want a resurrection of something. But listen, you're probably not going to get there without a crucifixion. Something's going to have to die. And here's what I want you to know. When they saw his nail-pierced hands, when, when Mary, Mary shows up, Mary Magdalene, she's in the garden. She shows up. Kind of the story goes that maybe there were some of the ladies who went there, and Mary goes back, Mary Magdalene goes back, and she's there, and she sees a guy who she thinks is a gardener. Kind of smells fishy, but she looks at him, and she goes, Hey, if you did something with him, you better let us know. And he turns around. He just goes, and I think Jesus said it with a smile on his face, Mary. And she falls down at his feet and worships him. If you had been in that upper room with the disciples, as they were all terrified, and Jesus just doesn't bust in the room, just like teleports through a wall, just kind of just in the room now with them. First word out of his mouth, peace, peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give peace in the way the world gives peace. See, in this life, you will have trouble. This is him talking to his disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's essentially his way of saying, hey, fellas, and hey, everybody else in the room, you're going to have a scene in your life that is going to be unforeseen, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be broken. But take heart, I'm writing the good, the bad, and the ugly of your story for my glory. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what he's still doing, friends. And so my hope is that you understand that... The pain of what you may go through, what you feel in these moments, is not the end. On Facebook, there are these things at the top of uh, when you go to the scroll through the thing. And um, it's not the feed, but it's the what oh, at the top. And those little rectangles are like this. You know what they are? You're on Facebook right now. Go and look and tell us. <laughs> Some of you. 
Oh, some, of you, some of you are in the room. I was talking to them, but some of you are in the room. How dare you? <laughs> stories. But let's be honest. They're not stories. You've seen those things. I've never done one before. I think there's two types of people in the world, people who do stories and people who don't. I've never done one. More power to you if you do. I sometimes look through them. Most of the time, don't. But what I know is they're not stories. That's a scene. You don't know a person's whole story. They got a cool little snapshot, and they didn't even trust it enough to leave it up there for good. <laughs> it's a scene. And what I want you to understand, guys, is don't end the story over a scene. Don't give up on the story that God's writing in your life because a scene isn't what you thought it would be right now. Trust that he's working things together. And what he's doing in your life, you may not realize this or not, is he's not just writing a story, he's writing a testimony. And I love what the book of Revelation says about testimony. Revelation 12, 11, it says, And they, and you're part of that day if you're in Christ, they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. So by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, and the word of you and I's testimony, we overcome Satan. That's how we overcome. And I love that you play a part in that. Isn't that, isn't that like wild of God? Yes. To go like, all right, everybody rally around. Huddle up. I'm going to tell you how we're going to defeat Satan. Like for good and how we're going to like put the nail in the coffin. You get a part. Yeah, you put Jesus on the cross, but you get a part. That's redemption, friend. You get a part in your testimony. Even now in this moment, the stories you tell about how God has redemptively saved and changed your life. That's how you overcome now. Because listen, the overcoming is not just at the end. The overcome happens now. See, that's the promise of this never-ending story. And it ends beautifully. Jesus' friend John, he had a vision of what the end of the story would look like. And again, I say ending kind of tongue-in-cheek because this is a never-ending thing that we're a part of. It's an eternal thing. But he says, this is what it's going to be like for those who enter into the happy ending because they have lived out of the purposes that Jesus has given them. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. I pray this brings you hope today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And hear this verse if you've cried a little bit this year like I have. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. All death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now just because they've passed away does not mean they're not part of the story still. But they're in the past. And the future, every aspect of the future, is no more pain, no more tears, no more crying and an eternal connection to your Heavenly Father. That's the happy ending that we were created for. So today, I want to invite you into whatever your next chapter is. Hopefully under the chairs that you have, and maybe around, if you didn't get one, just maybe raise your hand, and uh, we'll get some people to bring something to you in a pen. But in the room, under your chairs, hopefully, is this card. And I believe that you showed up here today because you're longing to actually turn a page in your story. That you, that you would come to a crossroads and go, okay, man, I want something to actually be different. I want this to be another Easter service, but I actually want this to be an Easter story that I'm invited into and things change. And if that's you, 
And you're ready to see your story change. You're ready for purpose. You're ready for deep connection. You're ready to rally together with Jesus to actually fight against an enemy. Maybe today you say, I'm choosing to surrender my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. See, friend, if you're in this category and you've heard me talk about being written into Jesus' story and you're going, I'm not in there. I've, still, I've been confused about him. I've never, I've never prayed or I've never been baptized. I've never done any of that stuff you're talking about. Here's what I want you to know. And again, I've got to tell you all the truth of the bad news so you can know all the truth of the good news. I don't want to sugarcoat something or bait and switch or hide things under the rug. I believe very seriously in the call that God has placed on my life that I stand, will stand one day accountable for the souls of the people who call this church and attend this church. So I've got to tell you all of it. If you're not in Christ, there is no happy ending to your story. And for those believers in the room, now's the time where you even begin to pray that Satan will not distract, Satan will not dis- dismember what God is doing in the hearts of the, of the people who are this close in the room. So I'm praying. If you're not in that, you're not in that story, today is the day where you say, I, for the very first time, put my faith and my trust in this new story, and I'm allowing Jesus to write me in. And maybe the step that you say, okay, because I'm in, here's what I need to do. I, I need to be baptized. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I've been written into this story, but I've never had this baptism moment where I said, my old story is being all the way washed away and I'm being raised up something completely new. And that's you and you're like, man, I need to be baptized. I need to, and again, this is the reason we put this on our shirt. So we give every person who's baptized all things new. That's a life, that's a story that I want. You mark that. The next one is maybe for you in the room, you've been baptized, you've been following Jesus for a little while. But you go, man, I need to recommit to letting him daily use my story for his glory, to wake up every day and God, God, pen's yours. The pencil's yours. Write the story. Let it be for your glory. I'm not the way. I'm not the truth. I'm not the life. You are. Write my life story. And the last one is this. To keep writing the story of my life with Jesus' help, without Jesus' help. And and maybe you're here and like, you see that and you go, "That's, that's harsh. I don't want it to feel harsh. The team and I debated back and forth about, do we put this on here? And here's why I wanted you to put that on there. Because I want you to know that there's no neutrality in the story of the gospel. And you can choose to continue to live a life without Jesus, but that's going to be you continuing to say, hey, I'm going to do my best to live my story and write my story on my own. And if that is you, what's not going to happen is that we pick up the one where you wrote that and you put your stuff on there and we read that and go, what a jerk. Why don't they want to have anything to do with Jesus? Well, good luck to them out there doing it on their own. No, that's not us. That card that marks that box becomes the most valuable card to us. And I believe it's also really valuable to God. Here's why. I believe about God that He has more respect for your honesty in unbelief than believers' dishonesty in their belief. And He'll work through that. And He'll help that unbelief. Because that's what He does. And the only reason I ask for the info to know that that's the thing is so that God may use me and my team and this church to help. To maybe help answer some of the big questions you have. To be able to maybe help figure some things out. To be able to walk through and navigate what life may be throwing at you. In a second, we'll get to show you some people who were baptized. The first lady, she was baptized the last service. Her name's Triana. I'm going to show you uh, her. 
This was a lady who had been going through some painful things in life. She had been trying to figure out the truth in life from some, some weird uh, angles that, that she realized as she got deeper into them were actually leading her further and further away from Christ. And she was able to get connected to a thing we do here at MCC called lay counseling. To help with the mental health crisis that we're in as a society, we offer free lay counseling to people. She came in and got connected and realized that, hey, if this is what I believe, this is what I need to do. In the first service, we baptized her. And today, getting ready to see this young man, Fisher, be baptized. Mrs. Fisher, he's not the furry one. He's the, <laughs> he's the one with glasses, if you were confused. All dogs go to heaven. No need to baptize them. So Fisher was a young man who, who was struggling with some fear. And Rachel, our children's pastor, was able to share some Bible verses with him and, and have a conversation with him. His mom and dad have been continuing to pray for him as he's, he's saying, man, there's a part of my story right now where I'm terrified and I don't know what's next. And I don't know how I'm going to be able to navigate the fear that I have moving forward. And some of you can relate to that. Because the same fear that Fisher has as a young man, you still have as an older woman or an older man. He's being raised anew to say the Holy Spirit is now going to be living and active in me through baptism. Now the greatest weapon against fear is not on the outside. It's not even working on me, but it's now working in me and through me. And today as you sing, I pray you make a decision of what the next chapter of your story is going to look like. And then we sing together. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace, mercy, and your loving kindness to us. I pray as we watch decisions being made, as we watch people going from hell-boundness to heaven-boundness, as we watch people going from fear and anxiety to bravery and confidence, that God, it reminds us that you never stop changing lives. Change our stories, God. I pray that you would use the people of MCC so that even the story of the county that is Henry County is different. Move in us, Jesus. Your will be done here today on earth as it is in heaven.